Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidil murselin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in emma ba'd. Moving on to the next session of this series on uh, what is Sufism, what is the Sufi in general. We move, on, we move on to the seventh principle uh, of the path. Uh, following the sixth principle, the sixth principle which we discussed last week was hunger. To put ourselves through a certain amount of hunger uh, through fasting, etc. Uh, number seven, these are all ways to obviously um, become more in control. So the seventh one, which is very relevant for today, though it's taken a different shape from what it used to be like maybe even 50 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, and definitely from how it used to be centuries ago. So the seventh principle he mentions is Al-Uzla. Al-Uzla in Arabic refers to being alone, having a sense of not isolation, that you just cut yourself completely away from everybody, but to have enough time alone. Because humans are social beings, so there's no concept of there's no concept of hermitude in Islam. However, uh, what we do have is i'tikaf in the masjid, uh, decreasing our meeting uh, with people that we don't really benefit from or we can't benefit them. And the reason for that is, uh, as he will explain, we will definitely, in the world we live in, as human beings, we always are learning from others, and picking up things from others. Things rub off onto us and maybe things rub off from us onto others. So unless we're among very good people all the time, then we're going to be picking up a lot of mess, right? Saying it in that sense, right? So what he says is, الْعُزْلَةُ عَنِ النَّاسِ قَاطِبَةً إِلَّا عَنْ شَيْخِهِ الْمُرَبِّي لَهُ Staying aloof uh, from people, away from people, in, in general, except from his shaykh who is basically helping him to discipline, discipline himself or or some other brother of his some other sister for, for the sisters some other person who is a righteous person who will assist you in general in gaining some kind of uh, in, in fulfilling and doing obedience and in encouraging you to do more of whatever is good. And that may be, it doesn't mean that I would just pray more or fast more, but also how we should act, how we should react, what our conduct should be, what our behavior should be. So people we can actually learn from in that regard. Not just necessarily people who will remind us of our prayers, which is a very good thing on its own. Uh, company makes a massive difference, right? Company makes a massive difference. If you are traveling with a group of people who don't pray and you want to pray and because traveling is quite a bit of a challenge sometimes because if you have to pray at a certain prayer time finding a place to stop, finding a place to pray, doing wudu that's a big hassle for everybody else who doesn't want to pray. You're wasting their time especially if you're in a bit of a hasty journey. So then you're going to feel pressured not to pray. On the other hand, if you're a person who doesn't pray and you're among people who do want to pray and every time they're stopping to pray, you'll probably end up praying, right? That's just simply as praying. Then we're talking about behavior as well. If we live among people who 
have good behavior, then clearly that's going to rub, rub off onto us because we're going to reflect what we do to the way they do it. So we, we see people's interaction. We're going to see how somebody's going to be maybe dealing with a shopkeeper when they go to buy something. Maybe with somebody else. Uh, maybe there's a little something happened on the road and how they deal with it, how we would deal with it. And we found that, mashallah, they dealt with it much more effectively than us and also in a much more honorable way than us. I would have dealt with it in a ruder way maybe. Maybe I would have dealt with it in a more harsher way. We both got to the same point. In fact, that was more effective. So that's how we would learn from others in that sense. Then generally speaking, if somebody just has a better heart, more connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's just going to be more blessing around that person. Now there's a metaphysical aspect of how that works, but which is basically that people who are connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have a constant shower of blessing upon them. Because uh, something as simple as sending blessings on the Prophet sallallahu the Prophet sallallahu said, if you send one blessing on me, Allah will send 10 blessings on you. So imagine sitting next to somebody who's, who's doing salawat. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. He's doing salawat. He's having blessings sent on him. We can't see it, obviously. Some people can actually sense these things. I, I've, I may have mentioned this before. I had a, uh, uh, there's two people that I know who didn't know each other as well. I know both of them, right? They did not know each other. Uh, and I remember once the one met the other. The other one used to do a lot of dhikr. So when he met him, he just said, I just felt something different about this guy. So I said, like, what do you do? And then he told me, this is what I do. So sitting around people who do more dhikr, who are constantly thinking about Allah, they're going to be attracting a lot more attention from Allah. Right? And it's mentioned in many hadiths that, for example, when you read Quran, then there's a sakinah that, uh, that descends, which is tranquility. Angels gather, uh, come around that gathering in which Quran is recited or discussed uh, or studied. And the malaika, the angels surround that gathering. Uh, there's rahmah, there's sakina there. So if we're among people like that, clearly we should be able to benefit from that. Right? Because it's like the example the Prophet ﷺ provides, which is that if you go into a blacksmith's place, we don't get them anymore, right? Nobody goes to a blacksmith anymore. Right, but what would be a modern example of a blacksmith today, where you go and you're gonna get some, you know, you're gonna get some effect of it, even if you don't buy anything? What would be a good example of that today? That's a good example. What's a negative example? A mechanic. Huh? A mechanic. That's a good point. Maybe a mechanic, because then you go to a mechanic, right? I went to a mechanic to sort out something uh, in my axle or something, and this is random. But uh, the lane that you had to get through to get there, and then they had some posts there, and I broke my window, uh, my, my, my rear view mirror coming out of it. I went to a mechanic to get fixed, and that's what happened. But that wasn't his fault anyway. But when you go there, you're, you're probably going to get some oil stains here or there, right? Even if you end up doing nothing, there's oil stains all over there. You have to be careful, right, where you walk, and so on. Not as bad as a, work, a blacksmith, you know, because there is smoke. We don't have shisha stores either anymore, right? Because that's not that's not right. They're, they're, they're not legal anymore. So what else is it? Right? Anything else? Well, anyway, you get the idea. And of course, a perfume shop. At least you can test them. 
Even if you don't buy them, you can go in and test them. Right? And if you go to India, you can go to the Mitai shops and even taste the Mitai and probably eat to your fill as well. Right? Which you shouldn't do. Uh, here you go into a chocolate shop and they won't even let you taste the chocolates. You have to buy them, you know, the, the gourmet chocolate shops. They cost like two pound a little chocolate. I mean, Mitai's are much easier, but um, kilo for, you know. But anyway, you get the point. The point is that being closer to somebody, there's just, I mean, it's just quite simple that you sit next to somebody who's doing a lot of dhikr, you're going to get a benefit because there's a special attention, special rahmah, special blessing that's coming down there and there could be a, there's going to be a spillover. We learned that from other ahadith that a person who would come into a gathering of dhikr even to maybe pick up something from someone there, he's also going to get a benefit of that even though he sits down and does no dhikr at all. He's just there for another purpose. So either spend your time with good people, whether that be your shaykh, murabbi uh, lahu, or a, a good brother that will assist you in your obedience and in himma, in, in basically raising your morale, uh, raising your aspiration, uh, encouraging you to do more, etc. Good people, positive people. And unless, I mean, of course, w w human beings aren't, Unfortunately, though we're supposed to be worshipping as much as possible, we still have to live in this world and earn a living. So he says, Otherwise, if there's a certain need of yours, like you want to go and buy something or you have a business and you want to sell something, that's fine as well. If you're engaged in that, that's fine. But if that's your 24-hour engagement, then that's a problem because then you're obsessed by something. right? Obsessed by something. Because meeting with too many people is going to create a darkness in your heart. Now you might say, but what about if it's all good people? Well, obviously it doesn't mean that. The general mass of people are not going to be people who are constantly doing salawat with the tasbih. Right? They're going to be probably on their phone. Maybe they've got earphones on listening to some weird song or whatever the case is or some crazy stuff. Some of the stuff that you read about today is just like, where's the world getting to? Where's the world getting to? It's just complete shaitaniya in some cases. So, he said generally what that does is that that just creates darkness in the heart. For example, لو فرض أنها تخلو عن ارتكاب المحرمات He said, even if they're not doing anything haram, even if they're not doing something absolutely haram, because of the negligence, it's still negative. It's still negative. فَكَيْفَ وَلَا يَخْلُوا مَجْلِسٌ مِنْهَا مِنْ غِيبَةٍ وَنَمِيمَةٍ وَغَيْرِهَا So he says then, even if they're not committing something haram, then what he says, whereas hardly any gathering you sit in, hardly any gathering is free of some kind of backbiting or tail-bearing or some, something else. Even at work, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not in the corporate environment, but I've heard it's so competitive. That is constant backbiting about others and look at that person and look at this person and there's just constant backbiting and it, it's just acceptable. It's just acceptable. In fact, what I'm hearing is that in uh, t today there was a th th there was a, a discussion about high tech industries, like high tech industries. To get into there, they're very, it's a very high octane, really really high pressure job, and they want to get the best people. Uh, the, the, sorry, the most resilient, the most resilient people to come into those industries. So they do a very tough interview, and the way they order you around, and that could involve swearing as well. 
But they're saying that basically at the end of the day, we'll have a pint together. So they know that it's just all theater. It's just part of the job. It's just part of the landscape. I mean, not all industries are like that. But definitely some are. So anyway, whatever the case is, we're not saying drop your work and all the rest of it. It's just that if that's where you are, and we have to be part of that sometimes, well, we need to find an antidote. And we need to go and find a release. We need to go and find some good uh, alternative. And there's no doubt about it that if you, uh, for example, if you sit with depressed people, you're going to probably become depressed. Right? That's why a lot of therapists, they actually then have to go to another therapist afterwards. Generally, hospitals will provide that because they have to deal with it. There's that case about that the person who used to work for Facebook to mine all of those weird websites. And basically, she's now complaining that they did not provide me counseling. It's like, that's the nature of your job, right? SubhanAllah, it's just like, what a paradox we live in. It's just quite crazy, right? So, one, one of the poets said, لِقَاءُ النَّاسِ لَيْسَ يُفِيدُ شَيْئًا سِوَى الْهَذَيَانِ مِنْ قِيلٍ وَقَالٍ فَأَقْلِلْ مِنْ لِقَاءِ النَّاسِ إِلَّا لِأَخْذِ الْعِلْمِ أَوْ إِصْلَاحِ حَالٍ Meeting with people does not generally benefit except having a good time with regards to what's been said and what's been transmitted and related. So basically just having a good laugh. Right? Now saying, I mean, you could probably have that in a, you know, once in a while, but if that's what we thrive upon, then that's a problem. So he says, um, he says, lessen that. Decrease your meeting with people except to go and learn some knowledge or to reform something of yours, to get something, to benefit in a way. So there's nothing wrong with doing business. There's nothing wrong with, you know, but business is not a, it's not a full, full-time occupation, right? It's enough to basically uh, survive and to f uh, basically plan for your future, but not in a way that it uh, should obsess. So that was Al-Uzla, he doesn't spend too much time on it, but I think we get the point that you need time alone. And again, we haven't even started talking about really being alone yet, because today you don't have to be with people physically, right? You can just be with people, millions of people, uh, on, your, uh, on our phones. So we have a totally different idea now of what it means to be alone. So when, we, when he's saying being alone, it means without the phone. When, we re when, we're, when we're treating the phone as a phone and not as anything else. I remember when I first got the smartphone, there was a feature that I wanted on the phone. Right? It was a smartphone. I can't remember which one it was, the first one I got. It was a HTC or something. Right? I think it was the best phone on the market then or something like that. It was a very good phone. Uh, aside from the Apple, it was different. And there was a feature on the phone I wanted. I can't remember what the feature was. A phone feature. And it didn't have it. It's like, why doesn't it have it? My old Nokia used to have that. So, I mean, if you use a phone just as a phone, alhamdulillah, right? But when it comes to everything else, then you don't need people. All of that, all, basically, it's worse. You learn much more negativity virtual negativity which then becomes real for us really at the end of the day but may Allah give us the tawfiq to wean ourselves of these things and to 
I spoke to somebody today about Erturul. Now, that's crazy stuff, man. It's full of good uh, advices and all the rest of it, good morals, and you know, there's no explicitly haram stuff in. No, I mean, there, there, there's stuff in there, but there's nothing like what you would get in other places and so on and so forth. But the point is that this guy is now on the fourth, uh, uh, what is he called, the fourth season. season? He's on the fourth season. When did he start? In the middle of December. It's like, wow. He started in the middle. If you don't understand it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just, just forget it. Right? Just ignore it. He started in the middle of December and he's been through in one and a half months, literally, about one and a half months, he's on the fourth season. Wow. That's crazy. Right, that's, that's just too much. Like, I'm, I'm not saying, is it halal or haram to watch? I'm just saying, wow, you know, like, come on, man. What have you been doing? You know, what are you doing? Thaminan. Okay, the next point, which is number eight, uh, which is, um, principle number eight uh, for the path is as-samt which goes with al-uzla but again in the modern world this is all skewed samt means silence so one is we're not meeting with too much number two we're not talking too much but a lot of fitna is without talking at least if we're talking to somebody we'll probably be more regulated than if we're online Right? So he says, الثامن الصمت إلا أن ذكر الله تعالى To refrain from speaking too much except uh, when you're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَإِنَّ الْكَلَامَ يُجِبُ التَّفَرُّكَ This is the reason, he says, because when you speak too much that creates, uh, uh, that, cr that creates a, you can say, what's the word for this? It causes you to lose concentration lose focus because you have to think of different things when you speak to people right well matloob al the objective in life is to have a focus now of course if you're speaking to somebody for relevant things based on your focus and purpose alhamdulillah but when you're just going around talking to people because you like speaking right then that creates a, a, a scattered thoughts in your mind you can't be then focused in in terms of your purpose this could be a business book. This could be, you know, telling you like, if you want to do good business, you need to be focused and stop wasting your time. But it's basically saying you need to do this for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, we're saying this in the context of even meeting people for, people for need. So even when you're meeting people for need, because in the previous one, he mentioned that you shouldn't be meeting too many people anyway. You should restrict yourself to who we meet. That's why a great dua for that is, Oh Allah, Allahumma razukna hubbak, Oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whose love benefits us with you. That means we can be more selective and Allah will provide us people that being with, inshallah, is beneficial and hopefully a tool to get us closer to Allah. As opposed to just being with people that uh, is a waste of time for us. So even when we're meeting with people for permissible reasons, even then just don't talk too much. Don't overdo it. That's relative. 
depending on you know that's relative to each person like I can't say like use only this many words right for everybody that's going to be different but he says basically that this is all based on the context of meeting people for needs and he says this is taken from where he says in the poem he says وَخَلِّسِ الْقَلْبَ مِنَ الْأَغْيَارِ He says, remove, relieve, relieve the heart from all alterities. Basically everything but Allah. So your focus needs to be that I want to do the best in this world for the sake of Allah, whatever I'm doing. Whether that be your wealth, uh, whether that be basically don't let other than Allah in your heart, whether that be your wealth, I mean you can have wealth, you can have it on you, you can have it in your hands, just don't put it in your heart. Wear it, consume it, give it, take it, just don't put it in your heart. Right? That's a very interesting way to understand that. You can have wealth, but just don't become obsessed by it in your heart. Same likewise your spouse, your children, your honor, your position, career for example. Uh, uh, just recently I was in a con conference on leadership and various different people, uh, academics and so on, discussing leadership, Muslim leadership in the modern world and so on. And one of the things was that how come we don't see enough women scholars out there, right? Now what's really strange is that, mashallah, in many of the areas, there's a lot of female scholars doing a lot of good stuff. For example, if you come to Forest Gate, you go to Hackney, you go to Ilford, Tower Hamlets, there's a lot of good stuff. Luton, there's a good stuff going on there. There's, there's a big difference between those areas and Barnet, for example. Or maybe Kingston. Or maybe... Wembley for that matter, Although Wembley, some stuff going on, but surrounding areas. Now, when those people don't see scholars doing anything, they think scholars aren't doing anything. All these graduates, what are they doing? Well, go to the areas where they're from, because they don't like moving out of those areas, unfortunately. And you'll see that they are doing an amazing job. There's a lot more they can do, but they're doing an amazing job. They're teaching children, they're teaching adults, they're teaching men, they're teaching women at different levels. They're doing counseling, they're at schools, they've got Islamic schools, they've got other programs going on. You know, they're doing a lot. Alhamdulillah. Now, if you don't see that, it means you are to blame because your community hasn't sent your children to become, become scholars. Your male and female students, you've not sent them to become so that they can come back. Right? So... One of the questions, like, for example, I said, like, my wife, she deals with most questions related to women issues. I don't deal with them anymore. I've trained her, we taught her, and she's already studied elsewhere, and she does it. So they're like, how come we don't know about this? Where's the website? Said, we don't need a website because it gets enough questions anyway. Right? You put a website up, you're going to be inundated. It says, well, why don't you get helpers? Well, not every scholar is a manager. When you get helpers, you need to coordinate. Right? You need time. 
Then another scholar there who was there, mashallah, he made a very good point. He said, what we have to understand that in Islam, there's no concept of career. Never mind for women, not even for men, is there a concept of career. Right? In Islam, there's no concept of career. You do things for the sake of Allah. You don't do it to make a brand of myself. That's a very modern idea to create a brand for yourself, with your name even. Right? And even have your name as your domain name. SubhanAllah. I'm not saying it's haram. But I'm saying that's the modern way of doing it, right? I'm a brand. And if my brand doesn't work, then maybe I'll shorten my name and make a new brand out of it. I recreate myself. Uh, abbreviations, for example. It's like branding. There's no concept of that in Islam. Now while in the selfie world, where everybody wants a selfie, that kind of stuff is hip and looks cool in that. Um, but that's not the objective, really. If somebody has to do that with a very pure mind and pure heart and sincerity, you know, I'm not going to say it's haram, but then there's a lot of things that come with that scene as well. So it gets complicated. So what, I don't know what people want at the end of the day. You know, like, what do people want? So We have to think about the whole career aspect. I'm not saying don't have a career. Right? I'm not saying don't have a career. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you need to be careful about what you want from life. What is it all about? Ultimately, what, what do you want? Ultimately, where do you want to get to? We have another world to think about. Others don't have another world to think about. They have one, but they don't, they, they've ignored that other world, a lot of people. This is the only world. For us, this is, you only live once in this world, of course. But there's another world that we have to think about. If we don't think of the hereafter, at least once a day, then I don't think that we're doing enough. We have to think at least once a day that, yes, this is a temporary world. I've got another world to think about. That will broaden our horizons. You know, a person who can focus on the hereafter, MashaAllah, the, the tensions dissipate. Probably one of the best, one of the best cures for sadness is to think about the, the hereafter. That I've got something else to look for. This world is miserable. I've got something to look forward to. Where it'll be pure justice, as long as I can do the best. But with that, you have to also keep in mind Allah's forgiveness and generosity. Because otherwise, shaitan can make us feel... Uh, quite despondent. There's a woman who just uh, communicated uh, recently. She, she was not practicing at all and then she pra started practicing. And now that she's practicing a few months or whatever it is, she started seeing some very bad dreams, very frightening dreams. And she wants interpretations of these dreams. I said, your dreams do not need an interpretation. They're one of the three main categories of dreams, the, as the hadith in Bukhari says that Ru'ya min Allah Al-Hulumu min shaitan and the other one is basically disparate thoughts and adghathu ahlam. So primarily, I mean, the, the, you can categorize dreams in at least five categories. But three are the broader categories. One is anything which is uh, positive, um, positive and glad tiding, uh, giving you some hope. Generally, it's from Allah. Anything which is frightening and uh, saddening, 
grief causing is generally from the shaitan. Those are to be the way to deal with those, the antidote to that is to ignore it. Shaitan is a bully, and those children get bullied more who get fussed a bit more. Those who are like, hey, it doesn't make a difference, you, you stop bullying them anyway. So basically what, what the idea was that, look, I never used to get those dreams before, she said. So they must mean something now. Well, you never got those dreams because shaitan didn't have to worry about you before. You, you were no trouble at that time. Now he's having to make an effort. Right? And you don't want to get bowled over just by a few dreams, do you? They're not a reality. Right? They're not a reality. So... And the third are Adghathu Ahlam, which is mentioned in the Quran as well, which is basically just your thoughts of the day they come and depict themselves at night. I mean, that happens to a lot of people, right? Things that you're thinking about. That's what happens to a lot of people anyway. So, uh, we, we're going to have a lot of challenges in this world, but what he said then is, uh, what he says then is that, and anything else that, you know, you should purify your heart from anything else that's going to that is going to occupy you from your heart being connected to your Lord. Bil Jid. And you need to do this with seriousness. Like you need to work on this with full effort. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, because Allah says, Those who do make that effort for us in our path, we will open up the pathways for them. Allah's promise is that. You make the effort, Allah will open up. Allah promises us that, that if we make the effort, He will guide us to the paths. It can only get easier, inshaAllah. It can only get easier. That's why He says, well, mujahada. And how do you do this mujahada? What Allah tells us to do, making this effort, how do you do it? He says, Takun bi mukhalafati nafsi fi hawaha. It's to oppose the, the, the nafs, the, the ego, the desire. Uh, from fulfilling its desires, haram desires, ma'al khawfi min Allah ta'ala while inculcating fear. See, a lot of us may be practicing. Right? These things dawn sometimes, doesn't, you know, there are so many things we need to con be concerned about. Some of us may be practicing. So we do our prayers, we try to do everything right, but we easily can do certain sins. We may feel even guilty about them. So the question is, why do we do those sins? I think the realization should be that we don't have enough hope. We don't have enough fear. It's all hope. Because we're doing good, but we're not avoiding sin, which means we don't have enough fear to deter us from the sin. There needs to be enough fear to deter us from sin as well. As much as there needs to be hope to keep us going. Subhanallah. That's why uh, after Tawbah, well, you have to make Tawbah first because otherwise we're still carrying the sin. Once the Tawbah is made, then we need to just avoid by using fear as a shield. Allah says, The one who is fearful of the position of his Lord. Basically, he's fearful of the, re uh, of the majesty of his Lord. And then because of that, he prevents his self from fulfilling its desires, then for that person, Jannah is the abode. That person, they have to do two things. They have to make, they have to have the fear of their Lord. And then they have to abstain from indulgence. Then Jannah is, paradise is for them as an abode. 
a jannat al-shuhudi fi dunya in fact two paradise one is the paradise in this world that allah will give you allah will give you his presence in this world you will have you will witness things that will help you and wa jannat al-khulud fi al-'uqba and of course then the hereafter abode of the hereafter the everlasting abode of the hereafter illa anna sharat as-sayri an la yakuna khaifan min adhabillah except that one of the conditions for your traveling the path is that you mustn't do this now this is where you're going to think what does that mean you just talked about having fear of your lord right and now he's saying except that the condition of the path is that you should not be fearful of the punishment of allah didn't he just say you must have fear now he's saying you mustn't be fearful of the punishment of allah and then he carries on he says wa illa kana 'abd wa illa kana 'abd su'in la ya'mal illa idha khafa al-'iqab otherwise you will become a very bad slave of allah who only performs when he fears the punishment now you get it you must fear allah as a reverent fear of his maqam of his status that i can't look i must do right for him i can't do this in while he's watching me and he's always watching me not because i'm going to be punished for it so the fear must be a particular type of fear it's a rever- reverential fear of allah a respectful fear not a fear that i'm going to get punished so i'm not going to do that so i better do this otherwise they're going to cut my wage or they're going to do this no i want to do it because i want to be an honorable individual and i want to show them and i want to respect them right more than that in fact right but no, you fear him out of reverence and awe for him. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ The one who fears the status of his Lord, the position of his Lord. He didn't say that he fears the punishment only. Alright? وَلَمْ يَقُلْ عَذَابَ رَبِّهِ He didn't say the punishment of his Lord. فَفْهَمْ So understand this. It's just a better way of fear. Because fearing punishment is a very selfish idea. Uh, fearing Allah and His position, His status, basically tells, tells Him that we are your servant and we, we're just doing what you want us to do and what we should be doing because we are your slaves. A slave can only be fearful because he has no prerogative. He has no discretion. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us the blessing, the true fear, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to understand our priorities and the right purpose and all of the challenges that we have around us. May Allah make it easy for us to go beyond them and deal with them in the rightful way and come out of it alive in the hereafter in Jannat al-Firdaus. Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakti yadha al-jalali wal-ikram Allahumma yadha al-jalali wal-ikram Allahumma ya hannanu ya mannan da ilaha illa anta subhanak inna kunna min al-zalimin Jazallahu anna muhammadan ma huwa ahluh Oh Allah, oh Allah forgive us Oh Allah forgive us all of our excesses, our wrongdoings, our sins, our transgressions Oh Allah, our boldness in front of you O oh Allah, our negligence of you, our heedlessness. O oh Allah, we, we commit sins and it is as if we don't even consider you to be present. O oh Allah, grant us your presence, grant us your love, grant us 
your special attention. O oh Allah, fill our hearts with your love. O oh Allah, remove the love of all else uh, that occupies our heart from your love. O oh Allah, grant us your love and the love of those whose love benefits us in your court. O oh Allah, grant us the ability to be of those who remember you constantly and abundantly and frequently. O oh Allah, make us of those who thank you frequently and abundantly. O oh Allah, do not make us of the disrespectful and the ungrateful ones. O oh Allah, make us of of those who would love to meet you on the day of judgment. O oh Allah, and those that you would like to meet. O oh Allah, grant us the kalima on our deathbed. O oh Allah, allow us to lead the lives of your friends in this world. O oh Allah, make us from among your awliya. O oh Allah, we know we have nothing to show. We have nothing to even claim. O oh Allah, the fact that you even allow us to raise our hands like this, to even ask you, is a great reward of yours. O oh Allah, there are so many people who cannot ask you. O oh Allah, we ask you despite the fact that we can't offer anything. O oh Allah, our salat is defective. Our fasting is defective. Our worship is defective. O oh Allah, we ask that you give it some life. You give us some life. You give us the true understanding of what it means to be a believer in you. And you grant us tranquility in our hearts. O oh Allah, you grant us goodness in ourselves. You grant us mercy in our hearts. You grant us love in our hearts. O oh Allah, that you grant us generosity in our hearts and remove all of the evil traits. O oh Allah, how much longer can we go around stumbling around like this? Aimlessly, O oh Allah, we are occupied with things, but maybe those things that we're occupied things are not to our benefit in the hereafter. O oh Allah, there are many things which seem to be beneficial for us and occupying for us, but O oh Allah, they are disguised, they are things that are basically making us heedless of you. And they seem to be sometimes even good things in disguise. O oh Allah, allow us to get our priorities right. O oh Allah, allow us to become more discerning individuals. Allow us to be of those who do good things in this world and who avoid bad things. O oh Allah, protect us from being the keys of evil and misleading people in this world. O oh Allah, make us of those who become the imams of the guided ones. O oh Allah, in whatever capacity you can accept us for the service of your deen, O oh Allah, accept us. O oh Allah, sometimes we don't even know, many times we don't even know how we can be of any assistance. O oh Allah, allow us to live a fulfilling life, a hayatan tayyibah. O oh Allah, allow us to have a fulfilled life in this world. O oh Allah, O oh Allah, we ask you to make this world and everything in here easy and beneficial and facilitated for us. O oh Allah, for your sake. O oh Allah, and our children, our families, O oh Allah, bless them. The entire Muslim Ummah, O oh Allah, bless. O oh Allah, remove their oppression, remove their indignity that they're suffering. O oh Allah, grant them respect and honor and elevation. O oh Allah, make us, make us the means of the elevation of your kalima. O oh Allah, accept us. O oh Allah, accept us. And O oh Allah, protect us from all of the challenges and allow us to rise to deal with those challenges. O oh Allah, grant us the gladness of our eyes from our progeny until the day of judgment. Grant us the kalima la ilaha illallah on our deathbed. O oh Allah, accept this institution and all the other institutions that are doing work for your sake. 
O oh Allah, grant us all tawfiq and ikhlas and sincerity and facilitation and protect us from all of the difficulties and the obstacles which are out there. O oh Allah, bless all those who, ha who are here who may be listening. O oh Allah, do not let any of us be returned without a full share of your mercy today and your blessing today and your forgiveness. O oh Allah, make our remaining part of our life better than our previous part of our life and accept our du'as and permissible desires. O oh Allah, send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salamun al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.